Thank you for joining us for the True Life Fellowship Church podcast. Here is today's message from Pastor Devon Alexander. Now remain standing. We have a very special guest in the house today. This is my brother, my friend, my buddy, my compadre, my fellow minister, my confidant. I want you to please give a warm welcome to Jeremy Pearson's pastor, Legacy Church in Woodland Parks, Colorado. Glory be to God. Love you, brother. Have your way, man. Have your way. Glad you're here. Praise the Lord. Good to see everybody this morning. Are you happy today? Yeah. Uh, Alexander. The Alexanders are in the house this morning. Good to see you guys. What a blessing. Hey, while we're standing up, let's go before the Lord and just pray over this time together today. And let's open up our hearts to see and to hear from Him everything He would say to us. Father, we love and worship You today. You are such a good and gracious Father God to us, merciful and kind. And we come before You and we come before Your Word this morning. We come with eyes wide open. We come with ears wide open. We come today with hearts wide open. We want to see Jesus, hear His voice, understand more of who we are in Him and who He is in us. And we thank You for it, Lord. Your Word is a firm foundation beneath our feet. And by Your help, by Your grace, by the leadership of Your Spirit, we will be not just hearers of Your Word, but doers of Your Word. We thank you for the good results that it's producing in our lives, Lord. You have begun something good in us, and you are faithful to finish it. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. We love you. We thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, one more time, turn around, shake hands with somebody. Welcome them to church. Be nice to them. Act like you know Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let me just tell you what a privilege, what an honor it is to be here today. Devon has uh, so graciously allowed me to come back. And uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity. My wife, Sarah, sends her love today. She is with our family and our church family in Colorado. And, uh, you know, we, when we got married, we started traveling together. But just in the last few years, we planted a church up in the mountains of Colorado. And we are right where God wants us to be. And we're so thankful for it. But before that, you know, we just, we spent our whole lives just traveling, going to different places. We've been to True Life a bunch of times. Too many to even count, I think. And, uh you know, when we first started traveling in ministry together, I thought, man, the greatest honor in the world was to be asked by somebody, a fellow minister, to come stand behind their pulpit on their platform and speak the word. And that is a high honor. But after a few years of doing that, I realized there's an even greater honor than being asked to come someplace. You know what it is? Being asked back. I figured out you can go anywhere once. But when they ask you to come back, and uh, to me, what it exhibits is a level of trust. And I'm so honored and thankful to have Devon and Stacy's trust and your trust today. Um, I do believe Devon trusts me. However, uh, I got this text from him and, and he and I text almost daily. I mean, we are in constant communication. And I, I'm sorry, I should have given this to you for the screen. But I got this text from him 
just a few days ago, and it didn't even say anything. It was just a picture. It was a meme, and I'm going to hold this up. I don't know if you can see it. It says, there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. (laughs) Yeah, you're laughing, but I thought his timing in sending me that text was very suspicious. I wrote him back. I said, it's interesting. You're sending me this like days before I come to your church. So I guess that just means he loves you. He's looking out for you. He's trying to protect you from a long-winded sermon. And uh, I have been known to preach a while. And this man uh, likes to let me know when I've preached a while. (laughs) But I'll say this to his credit. He'll also text me sometime Sunday afternoon and say, hey, you only went 50 minutes today. (laughs) Yeah, glory to God. Um, But if you brought a Bible with you this morning, open with me, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, I hope you can come back tonight. All right, two of you coming back tonight. Good, well, we're going to have a good time together. I hope all of you can come back tonight because we're going to lay some foundation this morning, and I always appreciate these opportunities, not just to uh, have this little bit of time together, but to lay a foundation and to build on it. I'm telling you, the Lord can really say some things, powerful things that would change our lives if, are you listening, you'll give Him the time. There are so precious few people who'll just give him the time. And whether that's time in their own prayer and fellowship with him or time in a service like this or, you know, heaven forbid we add a service. (gasps) Well, is he worthy of our time? He's worthy of our time. And I, I, I think there's so many times the Lord would speak to us. Say just in a time of prayer and fellowship or time in his word. And you get about you get about this much. Revelation. You get about this much insight into the future, into the plan, and he gives you a glimpse of where he's calling you to go and what he's calling you to do. And I think there's so many of us that see that and we're like, "Woo! thanks, God, I got it. And we just were out the door. And he's like, wait, but I was just about to. You've been in conversation with somebody and they just up and walk out the room while you're in the middle of a sentence. You wouldn't like that. I wouldn't like that. Our father doesn't like that. Let him talk. I said, let him talk. Give him the time and he's worthy of it. So we're going to lay some foundation this morning and I'm excited about this morning. I'm really excited about tonight. Um, While you're looking for 2 Corinthians 5, I want to read something to you. Let me give you a little background here. Uh, Just a few days ago, my grandfather, uh, Brother Kenneth Copeland, who's been in ministry for 56 years now, uh, he actually came through our town just a few days ago where we are in Colorado and he came to minister at Karis Bible College uh, at Andrew Womack Ministries. Some of you may be familiar with those ministries. And we had a great day together. He taught the Word. It was wonderful. On their way back out of town, he stopped by our church, wanted to see some of the building progress going on. My mom and dad had come to town with him, although I think that was more about the grandkids than anything else. Um, But we're all standing there. They gathered our staff around in the lobby of our church where we're doing a lot of building and expansion. And my dad who was my dad, my pastor, my boss for a long time, uh, he had a word from the Lord for our staff, which as soon as I heard it, I took it for me personally, for our family. And as he was talking, all of a sudden, you guys came to my heart. And I had spent the last, at least the last week, but maybe even going back further than that, Lord, what would you have me bring to true life? And as he was speaking, I heard my direction in it. 
And one of the things he delivered to us was actually a word from the Lord that came through my grandfather back in November of 2011. And I want to read this to you. This is what the Lord said back then. He said, I have a great storehouse. Much more has been stored up in the storehouses of riches beyond your wildest dream that I laid up for you before the foundation of the world. Much more is stored up there than what the church has ever called for. I have not held back on the church, saith the Lord and the God of plenty. I've made it available to you. I put it in my word. I gave you promise and stood behind it with the blood, the precious blood of your Savior. But there has been a backwardness in my people about laying hold. I want you to hear those words. There's been a backwardness in my people about laying hold of the things that I have provided for you. But I will say this, there is a people in the land. There is a people around the world. There is a people strong and mighty and growing much stronger and much mightier and more, now listen, bold to lay hold. Listen again, there's a people in the land a people around the world, a people strong and mighty and growing much stronger and much mightier and more bold to lay hold and put their claim of faith on the things I've laid up for you. And it thrills me because it's been yours all the time, says the Lord. Bold to lay hold. Man, as soon as those words came out of my dad's mouth, standing there in our lobby just a few days ago, I knew it was what I was supposed to bring to you, what it was. I knew it was relevant for our family and for our ministry, bold to lay hold. Now, it's going to take us a minute to get there. All right. And like I said, we're going to lay some foundation right now and we can really dig into that tonight. But I want you to keep that in mind as we go today. Bold to lay hold. Can you say it? Bold to lay hold. Did you find Second Corinthians? Chapter 5, and before I read these verses, let me just tell you where they're coming from in my own heart. I, along with my wife and I both, have been stirred up in these last few weeks to come back to some of the basics. The basics from the Word of God, the things that make us who we are. And if you ever get the feeling as a Christian, as a believer living in this world, I just feel different. I just feel kind of different than everyone and everything else around me. Can I tell you why you feel that way? It's because you're different. (laughs) And if that bothers you, you need to get over it and deal with it. Not only are you different, you're called to be different. There is supposed to be, the scripture says, a difference between us and them. And that's something that came out of a conversation between Moses and God himself. Moses said, you have made us different. You and I are called to be different. And you read some about this here. And these are the foundational things that make us who we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Stop me if you've heard it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Different, right? New creation. What happened to the old things? They passed away. And all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, 
that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is what God did for us in Jesus. We have been reconciled. You understand what the word reconciled means? It's an interesting word, and it gets used in a couple of different arenas that on the surface look like they couldn't be more different. And yet it's the same word used in these two ways. You understand it in a a financial sense, don't you? A reconciling of accounts. I was thinking back recently, uh, these days seem like they're long and gone forever, but how many of you used to write checks? And I don't mean just like one a week at church. I'm talking about like standing in the line at the grocery store. And it was one thing to be writing the check in the grocery store. It was another thing to be behind the guy writing the check in the grocery store. It's a long process, isn't it? Because, and this is what they taught us in school, how to, how to keep a checkbook, how to record the expenditures. And, and it wasn't just the writing of the check. It was then the process of going to the back of it. Some of you kids are looking at me like, what in the world? It'll be in your history books before long. You go to the back of the checkbook, and there you got to write down who you wrote the check to, the day you wrote the check, the amount you wrote the check for, and then you got to look up above that line at how much you had in the account yesterday, and then you subtract what you wrote today, and you write that down. The whole process took like half an hour in line at the grocery store. I don't think people do it so much anymore, but what would happen at the end of the week, at the end of the month, you then get that grand total of all your expenditures. But then if you look at what the bank says you've got in the account, and it's different than what you've got written in the back of the checkbook, uh uh-oh, now you got a problem. Why? Because these aren't the same. There's, according to the bank, you got this much... (laughs) According to you, you got this much and there's distance between the two. So what do you have to do? Reconcile. Reconcile the accounts. And somebody owes somebody something if there's a difference. And of course, this practice still takes place in business. And and then, of course, in our personal lives, we've got to reconcile the differences. Now, what in the world does that have anything to do with what Jesus did for us? Well, There was distance. There was a distance between us and God. And it was not a distance of a matter of a few dollars. This distance was more than the distance that spans the universe. The distance that that sin and death put between God and man created what looked like an impossible breach to cross. And what Jesus did was He came And he broke down that middle wall of separation. And through his blood, he closed the distance. And to be reconciled literally means in the the context of relationship, not in the financial world, but in the relationship world, it means to have fellowship restored. It means to have harmony again in the relationship. It means the distance has been closed. That's what Jesus has done for us. 
And you know exactly what I'm talking about. We experience the same thing even in our own relationships. People have to be reconciled to each other. And this is why the Spirit of God said through Paul, not only has God reconciled us to himself through Jesus, he turned around and gave us the same ministry. He gave us the same word, the same thing that closed the distance between us and God coming out of us will close the distance between other people and God. But we all know what it means to need reconciliation in in marriage and family and relationship. If you've been married more than half an hour, you know what it's like (laughs) to be a few feet from a person in the same room and feel like you're hundreds of miles away because of something that got between you and started creating distance. And my question is, if God can bridge the distance that sin put between him and man, What's this thing between us? That's easy, right? And if you're dealing with that in family or even in your marriage, if it feels like you're a million miles apart, that's nothing. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You can close the distance. But this is what God did through Jesus. He said, I want to be friends again. I'm tired of there being distance between us. Can we be friends again? And instead of us paying the difference to bring our account back up, he said, I'll cover it. And he reconciled us to him. It's, it's like the, it's, it would be like the bank saying, you know, well, we, we see that you have $3 in the account, but you show that you have 300,000. So we'll go ahead and make up the difference. Yeah, it's that miraculous. I wouldn't mind the bank saying that to me, would you? But that's what God said to us. Thank you, Lord. These are the basics. This is the basic principle of being made right with God. And he goes on in the very next verse, verse 21. He said, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Say this next part with me. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. The New Living Translation says it like this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right. That's what righteousness means, made right. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. The Amplified Bible, the classic edition, expounds on it, says that we'd be made the righteousness of God, what we ought to be, approved and acceptable and in in right relationship with Him by His goodness. We've been made right. Made right. Now, most people, if you were to ask them, and you got to be careful with this, that you don't ask the wrong person, You ever gone up to somebody and said, hey, what's wrong? And then regretted saying, hey, what's wrong? Why? Because they told you and they kept telling you. And it looked like the list was never going to end. But you understand most people live like that. Most people live with an acute awareness of everything that's wrong. And they'll tell you about it. From the top of their head to the soles of their feet. They can tell you about every pain in their body. They can tell you about every pain in their relationships. They can tell you about every pain at work, every pain at home, every pain in their finances. People live with this increasing awareness of everything that's wrong with them. 
I heard a comedian tell one time about going to see a doctor. And he walked into the doctor's office and the doctor came in and said, well, what brings you in today? And this guy pointed to this little spot above his right knee. He said, doctor, you see this little area right here? The doctor said, yeah. He said, this is where it doesn't hurt. <laughs> in other words, what? It hurts everywhere else. And have you noticed people live like this? They live with this awareness of everything that's wrong with them. And our tendency in our flesh is to magnify what's wrong, isn't it? To the point where we don't even see what's right. But the problem with that, when you magnify what's wrong and you ignore what's right, it will not serve to fix what's wrong. You cannot fix what's wrong by magnifying what's wrong. It won't work. I'm here to tell you this morning, there's something right with you. There is something very, very right with you. Now, people don't get asked that question much, do they? What's right with you? I'm asking you today, do you know what's right with you? I know you might know what's wrong. I get it. But do you know what's right? Because there is something right with you. Say it. There's something right with me. And I don't mean there's something going to be right with you. I'm not talking about a few days from now and I'm not talking about eternity from now. I'm talking about who you are and where you sit right here and now. There's something very, very right with you. And as a matter of fact, if you will find out what's right with you, what's right with you will fix what's wrong with you. If you'll magnify what's right, what's right with you and not what's wrong with you. So you're sitting there going, well, what's right with me? Because everything feels wrong. No, listen, this is what's right with you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus right now, right now. And that's what righteousness means. It just means right. You have been made right, right with God. Your friendship's been restored. You've been reconciled. There's no more distance between you. Because of the blood of Jesus, you have been made right. And people think of righteousness in a religious sense as something to be obtained. Something that we aren't yet, but could be, maybe will be, hopefully will be, well, probably after we're dead, we will be. No, you are the righteousness of God in Christ right now. Right now. Well, how'd you get that way? You want to know how you got that way? You were reborn that way. You ever heard anybody blame their lifestyle, blame their, their, let's just be honest, sin? And say, well, I can't help it. I was born this way. Yeah. And a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people, they hear somebody say, well, I was born this way. And then they want to fuss. They want to argue. Before you get upset with somebody, stop and think about it. Truth is, we were all born that way. Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't born that way. Hold on. Yeah. Sin is sin. Yeah. And every one of us were born into it. So the truth is, to a degree, we were all born that way, which is why God is not as interested in the way you were born as he is in the way you were reborn. 
And what I'm talking to you about is your reborn identity, your reborn nature. And you were reborn the righteousness of God in Christ. We were all born into sin, but we were reborn into righteousness. We were all born flawed, but we were reborn flawless. Amen. Reborn righteous. How'd you get that way? I was reborn this way. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. If you believe that, of course, there's a lot more we could say about the righteousness of God. As a matter of fact, as I've been studying it the last few weeks, it's nearly overwhelming. When you start looking through the New Testament and throughout Scripture, it's, it's nearly, as a minister, as a preacher and a pastor looking at it, I'm thinking, Lord, how do you say all this? And I have felt the pressure before, you know, it's Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and I got the next few minutes, how do I get this all in? And I, I, I remembered that, that sense of relief that came over when I realized they just keep making Sundays. We never run out of Sundays. In other words, we don't got to say it all today. There's no way we could say it all today. This is perhaps one of, if not the biggest theme running through the Scriptures. Righteousness. Righteousness and who we are in Christ. But there's something I want to get to. And it's asking and answering this question. If you believed that, and I mean really believed it, how would that affect your life? If it wasn't just something you'd heard before, oh yeah, righteousness of God in Christ, I've heard that. But how many people who have heard that and claim to know it and believe it also identify as an old sinner? Problem is you can't be both. You cannot be a sinner and the righteousness of God in Christ. And yet people identify with the sin more than they do with the righteousness. If you actually believed that you are who Jesus said you are, and you have the place in Him that He said you have in Him, how would that belief affect your life? Hmm? It is supposed to permeate every aspect of our lives. The way we think, the way we talk, and most of all, the way we approach God. Amen. And I want to pull one element out of the Scripture here that I believe is a defining characteristic of somebody who actually believes they're righteous. And it's from the book of Proverbs, chapter 28, in verse 1. Proverbs 28, 1. If you really believed there was something right with you, how would you live? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are what? Bold as a lion. The righteous are bold and bold as a lion. Now he's contrasting two different people here. You've got the wicked and you've got the righteous. And he said the wicked, or you could say the unrighteous, those who are not right with God, he said they flee, they run when nobody's even chasing them. What's he talking about? He's talking about fear as a lifestyle. Constantly afraid. It would be like somebody running, screaming, and you look behind them to see where, what's chasing them, and there's nothing. 
It's just life. They just feel constantly tracked down, chased down, being pursued by something bad, something that's going to hurt them, something that's going to kill them. And there ain't even nothing behind them. But the unrighteous, the one who has not yet been made right with God through their faith in him, they live constantly in fear. And sad to say it, there are too many believers, people who love Jesus, believe in Jesus, who are living the exact same way. Their lives are completely ruled by fear. Fear of what might happen. Fear of what could happen. Fear of what they know happened to somebody else so it might happen to them. Did you hear your pastor earlier say it? When you see things happen in the world, don't claim and don't believe and don't expect those things to be coming your way. You are different. You are different. The wicked, he said, flee when no one pursues. We saw it just a few years ago. In our own lifetime, we saw something hit the face of this planet that brought to the surface the nature of fear living on the inside of billions and billions of people. Didn't we see it? Oh, we saw it in a hurry. We saw the fear response on every level, global level, governmental, political, social, all the way down to what's going on in individual houses. Fear, people gripped by fear, and it affected everything they said. It affected everything they did, everywhere they went or didn't go. All of it motivated by fear. And as ministers and believers, I remember Devon and I jumping online and and doing some online Bible studies type stuff together, and this was the first thing the Lord had us deal with. You have to address the fear. And what was one of the major things we found out as a result of that? A lot of people were running only to find out, okay, this isn't some big bad monster chasing us down. Are you hearing me? In contrast to living your life completely motivated by fear, what does he say? The righteous. And who is that by a quick show of hands? Who, Who has something right with them right now? That's you. That's me. The righteous are as bold as a lion. So there's the contrast. One of the defining characteristics of somebody who is right with God and who knows they're right with God is their boldness. And they are bold as a lion. Now, last night, before the Lord on this, I came across something I'd never seen in the Scripture before. Brand new Scripture. Just found a new one. And it's in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 29. And here we're going to start connecting some dots. Listen to this. The Bible says in Isaiah 5, 29, the roaring, their roaring will be like a lion. They will roar like young lions. Yes, they will roar and lay hold. Do you remember what we started with just a few minutes ago? Talking about being bold to what? To lay hold. This scripture talks about a lion and what characterizes a lion. He said they're going to roar. Lions will roar. And what else will they do? They will lay hold of the prey. So in one verse, we kind of get a a synopsis of the whole existence of a lion. And if you study lions, you find out that pretty well sums it up. (laughs) This is what they do day and night. They roar and they hunt. They roar and they lay hold. Their lives are not complicated. 
when Sarah and I, uh, several years ago, our son Justice, he's almost 13, but back when he was two, so this has been about 10, 11 years ago, we had been invited to minister in South Africa. So we were over there, and on one of our days off, some of our hosts took us to a lion sanctuary. Now, we have zoos. That's not what they have over there. We have places where we go and the animals are in the cage. This lion sanctuary that we went to, they put us in the cage. Seriously, they put us in the back of a truck that was caged in with iron bars and a, and a roof to it and drove us through the lion sanctuary where the lions are the ones out walking around. So this is a different kind of experience. And Sarah and I kept looking at each other going, you think this is legal? <laughs> I mean, I don't remember signing anything. <laughs> it's just a different way of life other places in the world. And we're out there and, and, and uh, we hadn't come on any lines just yet, but our guide who was in the front of the truck looks back at us and says, you may just want to keep a hand on your little one. <laughs> our son, Justice, two years old. I'm thinking, why do I need to be keeping a hand on him? Do these bars not work? What's the problem with this cage? And uh, our guide began to explain to us that, first of all, it's the lioness that does the hunting. And they are very good at finding weakness and picking it out. And she's explaining some of this to us. And while she's talking... This mama lion gets up from across the field, not very far from about me to you or the back of this room at the furthest, and starts walking towards our cage with that walk, you know, where their shoulders kind of <laughs> pop out like that. And she locked eyes on Justice, our little boy. I saw in her eyes exactly what the guide was talking about. And it tries to come over you like, what's about to happen here? And our little boy at that time had fallen in love with the story of David and how David had fought the lion. And Justice, our two-year-old, and it sticks out of my mind like it was yesterday, that lion approached our truck and our cage and put its paws up on the cage with its eyes locked in on Justice. And Justice stood up and put his finger in the face of that lion and said, Get away from me, power of God. <laughs> it might not have been the perfect faith declaration, but I was like, that's right, my boy. And I might have gone all David on that lion. But one thing I learned that day, lions are bold. But we've got that same thing in us. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Now, in the scripture here in Isaiah, we find out there's basically two things they do. Number one, they roar. That's what they do. And number two, they lay hold. They lay hold of their prey. Let me talk about some of these things. And what I want to really get into tonight is laying hold. But we need to say some of these things first this morning. When there's a boldness that rises up in you, and it's a boldness like that of a lion... What does it say they do? They roar. Something has to come out of your mouth. There is a sound on the inside 
of a righteous man or woman. And when it is released, it is like the roar of the righteous. And it's a sound. When you study the word boldness, and just look up the word boldness to find out what it means in the Scripture, it literally means unreservedness of speech. The word boldness means unreservedness of speech. Or to speak openly, or to speak freely. You want to know what boldness literally means? Free speech. Free speech. This is something we think and talk a lot about as Americans, isn't it? And it seems to be on the front pages of our newspapers daily now. Free speech. And how free speech is under attack. And and people are trying to take free speech. And and the Republicans are trying to take free speech. No, it's you Democrats trying to take free speech. Can you see how much it's on our minds right now? Freedom of speech. And people talk often about it. it is, we, are, we are given this right from our government. I have, the, I have the right to free speech. And I can say whatever I want. And I can say whatever, whenever, and however I want. And you're trying to take my free speech. I'm going to tell, me, tell you something. Free speech was not the idea of the United States government. The United States did not come up with the concept of freedom of speech. And I don't care who's in office, what party is the ruling reigning party, and I don't care what laws they pass to try to muzzle you and shut you up. If you are a righteous man, a righteous woman, your free speech does not come from any government official. Your free speech is a gift from God Almighty, and nobody can take your freedom to declare. Nobody can take away the roar of the righteous. Come on, are you listening to me this morning? Nobody can take that from you. Whatever laws they pass, they cannot take your God-given right to declare His Word and to do it freely and to do it with authority and to do it boldly. Amen. There is a roar that comes from the righteous. And just looking at a couple of these things, I, I found out that a lion's roar can reach up to 114 decibels. Now, to give you some perspective on that, and some of you might have to think back on this, but rock shows, you know, the ones you used to go to, <laughs> typically those reach anywhere between 90 and 110 decibels, maybe a little over that. Legally, they're not supposed to go any higher than that because past a certain point, you can experience permanent hearing loss and damage. At 90 or 100 decibels, a lion's roar is 114 and can be heard from up to five miles away. This is a serious roar. And what that roar does is it... uh, Sends a message, shall we say. It sends out, and this is what they say, two, two very distinct messages. Number one, it's a warning. It's a warning to any intruder that would be motivated by theft or trying to hurt them or somebody in their pride. It's a sound of warning. It's a sound of warning that says, I'm here, you shouldn't be. Right? The other thing that roar does, and this is what I didn't know, it marks a territory. It marks, if you will, 
a a piece of property or land or a territory as their possession. This belongs to me. Their roar does that. There's a roar of the righteous man or woman that does the same thing in the ears of your enemy. Sends out a warning. And that warning says, I know who I am in Christ Jesus. That warning says, I am armed and I am dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. And your roar, the roar of a righteous man or woman of God, marks the territory that God has given you to possess. The roar of the righteous. You know, if you look through the scriptures, not only is righteousness a major theme, but the boldness that you see in the people who believe they are the righteousness of God is so apparent. You can see it. You can see it in the lives of the apostles, the disciples. Nowhere do you see it any clearer than the life of Jesus himself. I've been reading back through the, the New Testament. Our church reads a chapter of the New Testament every day together, Monday through Friday. And as we've done that, I have just been astounded this year more than ever before at the boldness of Jesus. And we have such a tendency to read His words. We, we, we without realizing it, tend to turn the volume down on red words, don't we? And maybe it's because of things we've seen on television or movies or the way he's been portrayed in theatrical performances. And he's just, you know, so subdued. And I I know, I imagine there were those times where he was. But you don't go toe-to-toe and eye-to-eye with the religious Pharisees and the leaders of the day. And you don't do that in a mousy voice. You don't do that all shy, all sheepish, all quiet. It takes some boldness to look at these guys and say, you bunch of snakes. You liars, you hypocrites. Come on, that takes some boldness, doesn't it? I challenge you to read the Gospels and look at the words coming out of the mouth of Jesus. But let the Holy Spirit give you some insight into not only what he said, but how he said it. I mean, think about the things, the, the things he encountered. I mean, think about walking up to the tomb of Lazarus. Hmm? And we all know what happened. But Jesus did not walk up to that tomb and say, hey, hey, Lazarus. <laughs> hey, buddy, you in there? <laughs> hey, listen, uh, I don't want to say this too loud. I got people watching. But if you can hear me, won't you come on out? You know that's not how he said it. That is not what wakes the dead. Now listen, I think sometimes, especially in our group, our circles, those who believe in in the power of prayer and the power of a bold prayer and intercession, I think sometimes we believe it's our volume that's got the power in it. And, And sometimes I hear people praying and I'm thinking to myself, you know God can hear you, right? I mean, he, we don't yell because God's like, yeah, we'll say, come again there. He is not hard of hearing. However, there is an appropriate time to put some volume in your declaration, in your roar. And I'll tell you why. It's because symptoms can talk loudly. 
It's because what you see and what you hear and what you feel in the natural, your enemy is turning the volume up on that all the time. And that's why problems feel like they're yelling at you. That's why it feels like, that's why people magnify what's wrong. Because what's wrong is screaming at them all the time. Man, I experienced this a couple of days, well, just a few weeks ago now, beginning of March. I had been asked by the Bible school in our community to come teach a healing class that day. So class was going to start about 1.30 in the afternoon. I spent the whole morning in prayer and preparation for it. And, and what the Lord gave me, oh, I have not been going 42 minutes already. Oh, Lord, help me. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. I spent the whole morning in preparation, praying. And what the Lord gave me was, he said, I want you to go in there today and I want you to throw a praise party. And I want you to just begin to praise and thank and tell the people the effects of praise, right? So that's what I prepared. I had a whole list of things, things that, things that lifting up your voice and thanking God will do and, and what singing would do for you and praising the Lord. And it got to be about, um, about 11, 30, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm getting ready. I'm going to have to go. What I say service starts around 1, 1 30. And I'm feeling a little behind, so I'm moving quickly. And I'm coming out of our kitchen towards our master bedroom area. And I turn and shut the door. I was going to jump in the shower. And going into our bathroom, there's a corner where this wall meets this wall. And down at the bottom, we got about, I don't know, three or four inches of crown molding down there. But I'm moving fast with no shoes on. And I turn that corner and the pinky toe of my right foot grabbed the corner of that wall. I didn't just feel it. I heard it. My whole body heard it. I knew when it happened, it wasn't good. You ever got that feeling before? And I, th I thank God that I'd spent that morning with him because I've, I've banged my toe before and what came out of my mouth this time, I kid you not, I shouted, thank you, Lord, for the other nine. <laughs> now, I've hit my toe before, and that is not what I shouted. It is probably not what you've shouted. But I just spent two hours studying the effects of praise and thanksgiving, and I shouted, thank you, Lord, for the other nine. And I thought, okay, you've done this before. It goes away. The pain, it's sharp at first, but it goes away. It didn't go away. I got in the shower and it started to throb and sting and turn in colors. And I got out. I'm getting dressed. I come into the room. Sarah's like, what happened? And this is what I did. I just stuck my finger in the air. I shook it. I said, nope, I'm not saying it. I'm not going to say it. With everything in me, my body wanted to say, you broke your toe. But I said, I'm not saying it. Can you see what's happening here, though? I've got this entire body and the, literally the small, one of the smallest parts at the very end of it is talking the loudest. And it's trying to get me to give voice to what it's saying. And we've already talked about this. We have such a tendency to magnify what's wrong, to give voice to what's wrong. Now me shouting, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. The volume is not what's going to do it. 
But there are times we lift our voice in a roar because I'm drowning out that sound. Because I'm giving voice to faith. And right now I got to lift that voice and make it louder than the voice of pain, the voice of doubt, the voice of lack, the voice of unbelief. And you know exactly what I'm talking to you about. You can have one envelope sitting on your desk that's got a bill inside of it. And if that thing's bigger than what you've got, one little piece of paper, inanimate, right? And yet every time you walk past, it's shouting at you, talking to you. What you going to do? What you going to do? What you going to do? What you, you can't pay me. You don't got enough to pay me. And it is talking to you. But the roar of the righteous at 114 decibels, you can drown out. The voice of a little piece of paper, can't you? It's a sound. We've been given a sound. And you see it in the life and the ministry of Jesus. You see him confronting religion. You see him confronting sickness. You see him confronting death. And there are times where the scripture literally will say he lifted up his voice and with a loud sound, he said. Right? And when he would cast out a demon, there were times when... uh, Uh, somebody would bring to him a demon-possessed person. And do you remember Jesus would say, be quiet. He's turning down the volume on that sound. And he would say, come out of him. Or he would say, be loosed. And the demon would leave. Now, but you go back and you look at the response of the people. They perceive something. When we see something like that happen, our immediate thought is, wow, how'd you do that? And whether it's something miraculous or some trick somebody does, we tend to say the same kind of thing. Well, how'd you do that? How did they do that? And the people wondered the same thing about Jesus, but they didn't put it in those words, how'd you do it? You know what they said? What a word this is. What a word this is. That even the demons obey him. The disciples wondered the same thing. Who is this man that with a word he commands the seas? To be calm. With a word, the wind ceases. They marveled because it happened as the result of what was coming out of his mouth. And it takes some boldness, doesn't it? You don't stand up in the bow of a ship and speak to a storm and say, listen, we're trying to get to the other side. And if you don't mind, maybe you will, maybe you won't. That's not boldness. There was boldness coming out of him. And the people thought, we've never heard a word like this. We've never seen a word that can do this. And that's what they perceived about him. They said, he doesn't teach like the scribes teach. His word is with, does anybody remember what they said? Authority. Boldness. Now, I want you to go to the book of Acts as we begin to wrap this up. Acts chapter, well, you're looking for Acts chapter 4, but to understand Acts chapter 4, you've got to understand Acts chapter 3, and to understand Acts chapter 3, you really got to understand Acts chapter 2. And without getting into all of it, let me just tell you, we are an Acts chapter 2 group of people, are we not? You remember what Acts chapter 2 is, right? How they gathered together as 120 in the upper room, and there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the place where they were sitting. Amen. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues. And you remember what happened. They come stumbling drunk 
out of that upper room, so full of the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues that the people who saw it thought, these dudes are drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. And what happened as a result of that? Peter. Peter pipes up in the middle of it and with boldness begins to preach to the people. And it took some boldness to say what he said. He began to preach to the people about Jesus. He began to preach who Jesus was, who Jesus is. He began to preach Jesus crucified and risen again. And he looked at those people and said, you know Jesus, you know him, right? The one you crucified. Come on, it takes some boldness to look at the people that just killed this man and to say to them, you're the one who did it. Why does that take boldness? Because they can do the same thing to you, man. But when boldness comes up on the inside of the righteous, when somebody knows who they are in Jesus and who Jesus is in them, and when they know they are right with God, what can man do to me? That boldness is coming out of Peter. And what was a group of 120, by the end of the day, was 3,000 people in the church. That's church growth. That is miraculous, exponential church growth. And Devon and I both as pastors, he, he can attest to this. There is a lot of information in the church world about how to grow a church. What you send me the other day, how to grow your church from 200 to 2,000. You know, we, we're kind of laughing about it. And I'm sure there's good information in it. I'm not knocking it. I think there's probably a lot of wonderful things out there. But I, uh, I've looked at some of these lists and some of the things I don't see is get everybody filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Operate in the power and the boldness of the Spirit. You don't see that on the list a lot. But that's how this church grew. Boldness. And you get all the way over to Acts chapter 3. And you see Peter and John going into the temple about the ninth hour to pray. And there was a man laid at the gate at the entrance of the temple, and he was begging alms. He had been laid there, the Bible says, every day, but because he was crippled. He had no strength in his legs. And he looked up at Peter and John who were coming in, and he's begging for alms from them. And you remember what Peter said, Oh man, I left my wallet at home. Silver and gold, I don't have any on me right now. But what I do have on me, rather what I do have in me, I give to you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. But if you read the story closely, he didn't wait for the man to get up. Boldness doesn't wait. Out of boldness, Peter reaches down, grabs this brother by his hand, yanks him up. What's he saying? You walk in today. Does it take some boldness to do that? You can't be living in fear. You can't be afraid of what people are going to think. You can't be afraid of what if this doesn't work? What if this doesn't happen? What are people going to say about me? There's no room for any of that. The righteous are as bold as a lion. I guarantee you there's never one time been a lion about to roar and then said, you know what? I just don't want to wake anybody. <laughs> they let the roar come out. That's what Peter's doing, the roar of the righteous in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I guarantee you, he didn't whisper this. Rise and walk. He grabbed that man by the hand, pulled him up, and immediately, the Bible says, his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he went walking and leaping and praising God. And here comes another crowd. 
just like the crowd that gathered just a few days ago when they come stumbling drunk out of that upper room and he starts preaching salvation to them and 3,000 people are added to the church that day. Here's another crowd that's gathered because of what? One man's boldness. Boldness. His freedom of speech. Unreservedness of speech. Then you get to Acts chapter 4. And now we see the repercussions of this man being healed. And it says in the beginning of this chapter that the, as they spoke to the people, as Peter was preaching to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, they all came upon him. They were disturbed, verse 2, that the people preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. It says in verse 3, they laid hands on them, not to be healed. They, they laid hands on them and put them in prison till the next day. It was already evening. And look at verse 4. However, many of those who heard the word... They heard what? The word. Well, they heard it, which means what? He said it. They believed because he said it. They heard something because Peter had some free speech going on. People heard it and they believed. It says in verse 4, those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So we've gone from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 in a matter of days. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit and the boldness in these men's mouth. Now, we see here in verse 5, It came to pass the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as many as were the family of the high priest, they were gathered together at Jerusalem. It says, When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power and by what name have you done this? I love it. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, You could say, turned the volume up and said to them, Rulers of the people, elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, By him, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. What are they saying? These guys are bold, but it is not coming from their education. They are not bold because they're trained. They're not bold because they went to school. And yet that's what much of our culture and our environment teaches us. To lean on your experience. To to draw your confidence from whatever school name happens to be printed on the piece of paper they gave you when you walked off the stage. That's where your boldness comes from? That's where your confidence comes from? But what they're saying about these men is they didn't go to school. They don't have a degree. They're uneducated. They're untrained. And yet they speak with boldness. Aha! They must have been with Jesus. They must have been with Jesus. It says in verse 14, Seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We can't deny it. Verse 17, you ready for this? 
but so that it spreads no further among the people. This is the plan they came up with. Let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no one in this name. What are they trying to do? Keep it from spreading. Trying to uh, stop the spread. Have we heard anything about this the last few years? People doing something, coming up with anything to do what? Stop the spread. We got to stop the spread. Can I tell you that this is what Satan has been trying to do since the day of Pentecost? He's been trying to stop the spread. He was fine when it was 12. He didn't like it when it was 120. But he absolutely lost his mind when it became 3,000 and 5,000 and 10,000. And today it's billions. And he's been trying since then to stop the spread. So what was their plan to stop the spread? Now, remember, the Bible tells us that all the disciples have been put into another room. These guys are talking together like, what are we going to do? There's been a miracle. We can't deny the miracle. we got to figure out some way to stop the spread. So all these doctors of the law and religious leaders and Pharisees have gotten together and they said, well, we've asked uh, Pharisee Fauci to come in here and he's got a, he's got a, a chart here and he can graph for you the way that this has begun to spread. Uh, Fauci, go ahead. And Fauci says, yes, you can see here it was 12 and uh, we thought we took care of that, uh, but... But then it turned into a few more. But you'll notice here just a few days ago, there was a sharp spike and it's gone to 3,000 and then another sharp spike. And now we're up to 5,000. We got to figure out a way to stop the spread. So here's what we're going to tell them to do. We're going to tell them to speak no more. Come on, are you hearing me? This is Satan's plan to stop the spread. Speak no more. I think they said something like, man, if we had something, maybe just something we could put over their mouths. Maybe something we could cover up their face so they couldn't speak anymore. I tell you, that'll stop the spread. So that's the plan. And will severely threaten them. Is any of this familiar to anybody else? We'll severely threaten them. That'll do it. We'll threaten them. And they'll be scared and they won't talk anymore. This is still Satan's plan. Verse 18, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Did you catch that phrase? Right in the sight of God. What is righteousness? It is to be right in the sight of God. And Peter says, whether it's righteous to listen to you more than God, you judge. I like this, verse 20. But we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, 
they let them go because of the people. Since they all glorified God for what had been done, for the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all, the, all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats. This is their prayer. This is what they're praying. Look on their threats. We have a tendency to pray when people have threatened us. When we feel like our livelihood's being threatened, when we feel like we're at risk of losing something, somebody's come against us, somebody's mistreating us. Oh, yeah, we tend to pray. And our prayer is typically like, Lord, look on their threats and kill them. <laughs> Just kill them. Just take them out. Just, I call fire down on them right now. I call fire down on that, that IRS bill. No, you can't do that. You cannot do that. You'd like to, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd, you'd love for God to look on their threats and just take them out. That was not their prayer. You hear me? That was not their prayer. Yes, they have been threatened. Threatened by people they know are willing to kill them because they just killed Jesus. So these people can back up a threat. It's not empty. So they prayed and said, Lord... Look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all, come on, with all, with all boldness, they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Boldness. Now, tonight we're going to talk about how we lay hold. But you're not going to lay hold of anything until you're bold enough to declare some things. So as I finish this up, I thought I'd just give you an example of some of the things we declare in our life, our home, and in our ministry. You ought to be known for the things that you say. That's right. You ought to be known in your own circles, among your own friends and family, for things that you say and you say often. There should be some things that you say and declare over your family, and you say them all the time. They're constantly coming out of your mouth. Let me give you just a few examples of some of the things we say in in our house. We say this in our house over our children. We say this every Sunday as a congregation before we leave church. We declare that we will be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. I say it every week. I say it over and over and over. I say it over my children. You will be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing with the right people. Why? Because that'll save their lives. And I declare it over and over and over. And I'm bold to say it. Yeah. I don't say it quiet. I don't have a, 
I don't have it in my heart. <laughs> it's coming out of my mouth. Yes. Confidence is in the heart. Yeah. Boldness Ooh, is in the mouth. So why don't you say it? We will. We will always be. Always be in the right place. In the right place. At the right time. At the right time. Doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. With the right people. With the right people. Let me tell you something else. We say. I say this over my children daily. My kids and the children of Legacy Church, and I'll go ahead and say it over the children of True Life Church, live out the full number of their days in life, in health, and in peace. My kids know it when it's coming. I'm praying over them at night. I'm praying over them at the breakfast table. I'm praying over them when I drop them off at school. You will live out the full number of your days, and they say it with me, in life, in health, and peace. And if it bugs them, if they're annoyed at dad for saying it, who cares? That's right. Because they're going to be a dad and a mom one day That's of their right. own. And That's they're going right. to say it over their kids and yeah. over their grandkids. And they're going to tell them, my dad said this over me every day of my life. I'm in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. I live out the full number of my days in life, in health, and in peace. Yeah. And I say it with boldness. Yeah. We declare this over our congregation. We are prospering in every area of our lives, spirit, soul, and body. Can I lead you in that today? Yes. Say it out loud. We are prospering. We are prospering. In every area of our lives. In every area of our lives. Spirit. Spirit. Soul. Soul. And body. And body. Say this. I sow. I sow. In faith. In faith. I reap. I reap. In joy. In joy. Say this one out loud. We will have. We will have. More than enough. More than enough. To meet every need. To meet every need. To pay every debt. To pay every debt. To be a big blessing. To be a big blessing. To a lot of people. To a lot of people. I'm saying that all the time. Yeah. It's coming out of my mouth all the time. I was before the Lord just a few days ago, a few weeks ago, and I said, Lord, I gotta have something to say. I gotta have something to say concerning the build out of our building, the payoff of our building, these seeds we're sowing. Lord, I gotta have something to say. And he brought it back to me. He said, Jeremy, you've been saying this every day. Keep saying it. See, I was looking for something else, yeah. not realizing he'd already put words in my mouth. Stay with it. Yeah, Stay with it. I will have more than enough. Yes. Do you think we'll have enough? No. We'll have more than enough. I will have more than enough. What you going to do with it? Meet every need. Pay every debt. And be a big blessing to a lot of people. Hallelujah. And I say it every day. Say it all the time. Declare it over my family. Declare it over my finances. Declare it over my partners. Declare it over my church family. You'll have more than enough. I declare it over this man and his family. I declare it over you today. You're going to have more than enough. I said, you're going to have more than enough. More than enough to meet every need. More than enough to pay every debt. More than enough to be a big blessing to a lot of people. This church is going to have more than enough. More than enough to build out a building. More than enough to purchase what you need for the next place. More than enough to get you out of here. More than enough to get you into the next. Amen. More than enough. You hear me say it with some boldness? Amen. That's the roar of the righteous. And we we declare this over ourselves all all the time. We're not running out. We're running over. We're not running out. We're running over. Can you stand up and say it with me? Say it out loud. We're not running out. We're running over. My God is more than enough. He shall supply all my need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. 
I will have more than enough to meet every need, to pay every debt, to be a big blessing to a lot of people. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I was reborn this way, right with God, and I'm bold, bold as a lion. There's a roar coming out of me that serves as a warning to every demon, every devil, every evil spirit. I am blood-bought. I'm a child of God. Satan, take your hands off God's property. You have no right to my life. You have no access to my family. No access to my health. No access to my marriage. No access to my finances. No access to my children. My kids and the children of this church and my grandchildren live out the full number of their days in life, in health, in peace, in prosperity. And I will be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing with the right people in Jesus' name. You have been listening to the ministry of Devon Alexander, pastor of True Life Fellowship Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more information, go to our website at www.truelifefc.org. You can also support this ministry financially through our website. Thank you, and remember to love, learn, live, and lead.